Welcome to Goonies World. My name is Goonie, also known as Colin, and I am joined by Meanie, also known as Ryan. Hello. And our GM, Johnny Pharaoh, also known as Sean. Hi there. And technically tonight I am called the referee. Because, I was just thinking that. Yes, because we are playing Classic Traveler. Now, you look on the front of the box, it just says Traveler. It wasn't classic when they made this box. But when I say Classic Traveler, uh, I mean the 1981 Little Black Books box set, as well as the supplements 1001 characters, the spin word marches, and 76 patrons, all of which I'm using in this adventure. But uh, our adventure's original, but it's drawn from a lot of the various ideas in 76 patrons. I don't know how to articulate why I like this game so much, but I think it's mostly aesthetics. It's a very, very simple game with a very clean and flexible mechanic, but it's so subtly stated in the rules that that's given rise to a lot of multiple interpretations and, uh, over the years, and it's easy to see what's not there in Traveler, but I just take it at face value. I love the little books themselves. They're like the little easy digest size, and there's a complete lack of art. Like, no art at all, which to me just lets my imagination roam wild. I always preferred that. Um, there's some great artists out there, but it's kind of nice to be able to have your own vision of, of and a thing. it reminds me of, because it's the way that it's laid out, it's kind of like you got the military format, and it, the no oh, yeah. images. Yeah, know. it's almost like an, an in joke, you know, or because even like the character sheet looks like a, you know, tax form. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, very much so. And uh, yeah, you know, there's about 37 billion versions of Traveler out there. There's like Mongoose Traveler and Traveler: The New Era and Traveler Five and Gurf's Traveler and probably Travelers I don't even know about. But I still love this nice, simple, classic one. And uh, you can use Traveler to create any science fiction setting, theoretically, but most people use, and I'm going to use tonight, this default Imperium setting as revealed in the classic books and supplements and adventures. And if you're not familiar with the setting, don't worry. Everybody's is a little different. It's where they get that phrase, in my Traveler universe. Says every, every referee will have some slight differences. But in general, it's a lot like Asimov's Foundation universe with some Dune thrown in for good measure. But basically, when humans went to the stars, they did find some alien races that were truly alien, but mostly they found other humans or variations on uh, Terran animals, which implies that some precursor race had seeded the galaxy with you know earthly DNA in the past. And after many thousands of years of alternating periods of war and peace uh, human dominated empires rose and fell and now we're in what they call the third imperium and the key to understanding a lot of traveler cultures is to realize that there's no faster than light communication there's a jump drive where a ship can leave space and come back in another point in space but there's no like uh, you know faster than light radio so the speed of communications is basically limited to the speed of mail that is taken on ships. So the situation is not unlike that of the age of exploration on Earth, you know, when they were exploring the Americas. You know, the fastest they could get a message was to get on a boat and take it. So the Imperium is very powerful, but the Emperor is very, very far away, both in space and time, because our adventure is in... Uh, sector of space called the Spinward Marches, which is a richly detailed sector of Imperial space out on the Spinward fringes of the Imperium. And Imperial law does stretch out this far, but there has to be considerable local autonomy given the huge distances involved and the time it takes to get permission to do anything. So there are very powerful nobles out here that theoretically run things. Dukes, they might as well have their own little kingdoms out here but full guy tend to be free thinkers and risk takers compared to the people in the core sectors and uh even though there is a no nobility in truth everybody kind of knows that massive mega corporations have a lot of the de facto power 
individual worlds, they govern their own affairs. They can have any government they want. The Imperium is just concerned with interstellar matters and the relationship between worlds. So you'll see a wide variety of planetary governments. There could be one that's a theocracy, another planet that's a cooperative anarchy. Um, as long as they pay their taxes and take care of their own internal problems without those problems spilling over, you know, the Imperium basically lets them do what they want. Um, you guys, in fact, are uh, an ex-Marine and an ex-member of the Merchant Service, who's kind of like a Merchant's Marine. And you're familiar with the Spinwood Marches. You've had your careers here. <coughs> and you've teamed up to make a fortune in trade and speculation. You've got a souped-up bar trader spacecraft called the Achilles Heel. And we did not go through the unique character creation process for Traveler. We just grabbed some of the best characters from 1001 characters and used them just to save some time and to give yeah. our heroes a fighting chance. But, we don't want to die before we even get started. Right, which is totally possible in Traveler character creation. But if you follow our social media, you can see pictures and character sheets for our characters. Goonie will tell us how to find all that stuff over the closing credits. But why don't you guys, real briefly, just uh, talk to us a little bit about your characters and uh, what their capabilities are and what they look like. And, and I haven't even heard your guys' voices or personalities or anything yet. So I, uh, I, th I think you might have a solid idea, Colin. So why don't we start with Colin's character? Well, my name is Captain Ted Higginbottom. He's the, uh, the Marine. He was a, he's a... Yeah, former Marine captain, did four terms, so he's a little older, he's 38, and um, <laughs> I guess that's it. Uh, oh yeah, he has some background, did, uh, fought in the uh, Varger pacifications, took place, took uh, part in the Zykoka massacre, in, in the Battle of Corfu. For a while, he worked on a Navy ship doing uh, anti-pirate duty. And now he's just, you know, retired from the military and wanting to make a career. Okay. Well, luckily, he has a partner and a friend he can do that with, which is Ryan's character. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about your your guy? Sure. I'm Christopher. Uh, I was a captain on a merchant vessel for a while. Um... Worked all over the subsector. Um, you know, did some military contracts, and that's how I met Ted uh, doing the, during the uh, Varga pacifications. Um, and I suppose, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of a, a tall guy, um, handsome, but a, a tiny bit on the chubby side. Um, oh, I suppose you could probably see a picture on the Twitter. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The space Twitter. Yeah. Okay, well, that's great. You two are buddies, and you're in business together. And you're on a planet called Rylanor, which is the capital of the Rylanor subsector, which is a subsector of the Spinward Marches sector. But this is about 16 parsecs from the Imperial border. It's a very, very high-tech world. There's an Imperial Duke based here, and there are multiple important military and industrial facilities on this world. It's mostly Earth-like, but it has really long days and nights. It's equal to like nine of our days and nine of our nights. That's how, how long night and day is. And it's in the middle of the night right now on one of those nine day long nights. And you're on the top floor of the Plexus Hotel in the star town or suburbs of a huge Class A spaceport. It's like the top of all spaceports. Everything you can imagine that you would need for fueling and overhaul and repairs and even shipbuilding facilities are here. So it's, uh, it's, it sprawls out uh, across the side of the Rylanor Arcology, which is the largest city on Rylanor. And you're in the top floor of the hotel where there's a bar and lounge. And outside these huge picture windows, you can see the gleaming towers of the Rylanor Arcology and the traffic of air rafts. We call them air rafts, but they're just basically flying minivans. And you can see... Uh, a multitude of lights and glowing signage and in the sky dominating the night sky is the giant there's a blue giant star called Deneb it's a real, real one in our universe 
and you can see that it's so it's not in your system but it's close by uh it's close and you can see it even in the daytime on this planet and in most worlds in this area you you should be able to see that the star deneb the great big blue white giant but this place uh inside is decorated in very rich almost garish yellow and orange colors and there's a lot of like rounded furniture and uh sunken couch pits and low tables and there's a semicircular bar the place is packed you've been on world on Ryanor for about 10 hours you came in from Jaitalona which is a nearby planet and you sold five tons of pocket computers to the Rylanor Arcology R4 School District, who's struggling to uh, live up to a one-pocket computer per student promise. So you made an easy 10,000 credits on that, but that's chump change on the interstellar market. So you're here in the Starport Lounge looking for a big score. You know, maybe the kinds of scores that, the kinds of jobs that aren't often advertised in the usual places. And as I said, the lounge is extremely crowded. There's a waitress with blue hair and this shimmering bodysuit. She approaches you. Well, hey there, cutie, she said, looking at Christopher. What are you boys drinking? G'day. What do you got? Well, if you like beer, we got a special on Perozlo's Best and uh, Rylanor Sunrise. That's for another hour. It's happy hour. Only five credits each. Those are both great beers. If you want something a little harder, Old Duke is just a credit a shot for another hour. Oh, who don't like beer, love? Well, I don't take a, I don't, don't particularly like... care for beer. Ted, shame on you. I've just never been much of a drinker. Okay, well, well a beer. All right. Well, what about you then? You want some? Uh, you want me to get you some nice milk? Just I'll have something that's non-alcoholic. Uh, all right. All right. We'll get you something. A... S- something sweet, maybe. Get okay. get this kitten a bowl of milk. <laughs> I don't want milk. I, I'll have some some lemonade or something. You guys crack me up. Okay, I'll, I'll get you some lemonade. I think we can make that happen for you. All right. And then she gives she gives Christopher a wink and goes on back about her duties. But uh, um, I would like to apologize in advance as well because I'm doing first of all a, a terrible Australian accent, but the 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 word the c word is going to slip out at some point. So okay, just I'm be, sure be it will. advised. I'm sure it will. I see it actually on screen right now. Uh, you have <laughs> yeah. put in parentheses after your name, but we'll we'll let uh, we'll just let that be one of those little happy surprises that pops up. Uh, anyway, you guys, while you're waiting for your drinks, can kind of scope out the the clientele, and it's the usual sort here. But there are two figures that do stand out. And one, she stands out because she's very beautiful, pale skin, dark hair, a young woman wearing a subtle but extremely expensive white traveler's coveralls. They look brand new, though. I mean, they still got creases in them. And she seems somewhat sad and somewhat out of place. Christopher, you caught her looking at you a time or two. Maybe she just thinks you're cute. Who knows? Um, the other ta- the other person of interest in here is... Uh, at a table not far from you where there is a Varger. The Varger are dog-like aliens with, you know, uh, and the Varger pacifications were the war that you guys mentioned being a part of. Uh, Varger yeah. space is, is uh, just the uh, core word of here. And they do have incursions from time to time, but right now, you know, the war is over and there's a peace. But this Varger, he's wearing this tattered foreign military jacket with the sleeves cut off and he's got this vaguely German shepherd like countenance but otherwise he's humanoid if a little hairy and he's sitting with this greasy heavy set human who wears a, like a leather aeronaut type helmet with goggles and a sweaty wife beater style shirt they're both grumbling and looking angry and they've had a bit to drink as the mini shot glasses and the bottle of old duke on the table um Indicate, but after you've taken that in, the blue-haired waitress comes back and gives you your drinks. And so, what brings you guys to Rylanor anyway? Business or pleasure? Strictly looking, business for me. That's right. Uh, looking, looking for work, love. Well, this is where this is where people who are looking for work come, both for hiring and for and for uh, 
getting hired. So keep your eyes and ears open. And uh, she winks again and goes about her business. Those the, that that Varger, by the way, him and his friend, you know, they've been chain smoking constantly, and smoking is perfectly fine here because the original game was written in '77. So I'm assuming that even though this is space, there's like this weird late '70s vibe over everything, you know. Uh, but uh, they they're overdoing it even for smoking being allowed in here, you know. So people are coughing and looking in their direction. And then Chris, well, I think you, it's uh, just rude, actually. Well, maybe you should go tell him that, but uh, because you know what, you, first you thought it was your imagination, Ted, but you can't help but think that this Varger is looking at you, pretty clearly glaring at you every now and then, and then whispering to his friend with obvious distaste. So, do either of you want to interact with with any of those people, or would you rather do something else that I haven't thought of? Well, I, I, I think I'm going to let uh, Ted deal with the Varger, and I will approach the uh, uh, the lady who had been looking at me. Okay, I think that that sounds splendid. Let's start with you, Christopher. As uh, so, you're going to get up and approach her table, or how do you want to make the? Uh, uh, he's actually going to just brazenly walk over and sit down and sort of um, tip his his. Uh, or sort of raises his his bottle. I assume he's just got a bottle of, of beer, but he's going to yeah. raise it up and say, "Cheers, love." What brings you all the way out here? Uh, at first, you've discombobulated her, but she regains her composure very quickly. Just your swift approach and sitting right down, and uh, she quickly puts on an almost dignified air. She goes, "Well." I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for someone special, actually. She has a fairly posh accent. At least she enunciates everything very clearly. She seems highly educated. And you've had a little upper education yourself, I believe. So, no, I'm looking for someone very special. Someone who can handle something. Someone who can be trusted. That's who I'm looking for. Well, me and my, uh... Mate, Ted over here, we can handle just about anything. I was wondering. I did notice you. You don't seem like some of the regulars who come through. It's it's a bit complicated, you see. It's not my cargo that I need moved, but I need you to get some cargo moved. It's for my brother, and... Uh, He's not able to take care of it at the moment. So I've been given the buy money, and I need to find a pilot who will be willing to pick up the cargo in one place, take it to another, make the sale, keep a very, very nice commission, and then move on. I'm just going to have to insist on uh, no questions asked and no personal information about myself can I give you. And I, I... would have to rely on a certain amount of secrecy. The upshot is that you could make a cool mega credit, that's like a million credits, within, I'd say, three or four weeks. Hmm. Well, I... I I don't... Particularly, uh... The whole secrecy thing is, um... Well, it's not... It's not... It's not a... Deal breaker, but um, I suppose uh, you can't tell me what the uh, nature of this uh, cargo is. Well, all I know is that it's something to help the native race of Chipotle to better themselves. Beyond that, I I don't have uh, much information. I was told is something is going to help the native race of Chipotle to to, to better themselves and I, I think we'll cut away from you for a moment um, now that you know that and we'll go back over to Ted just in case Ted's conversation causes any ruckus this will be about the time I think in your conversation where it would start so uh, yeah you're do you decide to go over there and tell those guys they're they're being rude the the Varger and his greasy companion yeah I'll kind of do it in a passive aggressive way just 
or try to be as gentle as possible. Okay, well, let's, let's see. As you're as you're approaching the table, I mean, there the Varger, he's just staring holes into you, and this is like a seven foot tall bipedal German Shepherd, dressed like a biker, basically, and. The little guy next to him, the greasy little dude, he's just giggling. Like, he's a nervous giggle. And it's just really, it's just disturbing. But I'll let you uh, be passive-aggressive. Okay, well, he'll go up and and say, Excuse me, gentlemen, I don't want to be a negative Nelly, but uh, I couldn't help but notice you were smoking a large amount I'll be happy to give you one. Well, I'm a. That's very uh, kind of you, but uh, actually, I wouldn't mind if you guys uh, could maybe tone it down a little bit. I have sensitive lungs, <laughs> and um, I'm afraid this smoke is irritating them. Hmm. Well, you know what's irritating to me, says the the Varker. I'll tell you what's irritating. Uh, what's irritating is we have murderers walking among us. Yeah, murderers, he says, with raising his voice to some discomfort. This probably happened earlier in your conversation, Chris, and you glance over and nothing's boiled over yet, but you're probably aware, you know, halfway through that conversation with her, you're aware that this situation is... Yeah, murderers walk among us. That's what irritates me. Let me ask you a question friend with the sensitive lungs. You think maybe you got those sensitive lungs breathing in battlefield smoke? Well, no. I had sensitive lungs as a small child uh, growing up. I knew a small child once. He got killed by Imperial Marines. You know, let me ask you, were you a member by any chance of the 16th Aramis Legion that fought at the Battle of Zykoka during the Varker pacifications? Yes, I took part in the Varger pacifications. Mm-hmm. I remember you. I saw you. I, oh, I did never, you? It was ten years ago. I was just a pup. I would never forget that face. I remember you at the Zykoka Massacre. Okay, yes, I, I, I did. Your, your face <laughs> lit up in the firelight. I did partake in the massacre. I'm not proud yeah. of it, but it happened. Well, and I, I, oh, I, I, uh, oh you, you, you what? You deeply regret it? Well, yes. Uh, as I said, it's it's not a bright moment in my life, but everybody was doing it, and I, <laughs> I just, you know, got caught up in it, and I do apologize if if I've caused you any harm or grief. Well, I tell you what, I swore to myself. When I was a pup. That if I ever saw you again, I'd give you what for. So this is it, buddy. And he leaps up and just throws a punch at you. And this is, of course, where your conversation with her ended earlier, Chris. And uh, he's going to take a swing at you. Now, you're wearing mesh armor, and he's just using his, his... Well, he's got claws. He might as well use them. And uh, so he's going to roll two dice, and he has, like, no modifier for your armor. But... He rolls very, very poorly and very low. In fact, he rolls snake eyes, which is the worst thing he can roll. He added He's a bit too to drunk. That. Yeah, he probably did. he probably is too drunk. But he takes a wild swing, and that just makes that just seems to embarrass him. And then oh uh, my god! Then the other one gives out a a nervous giggle, and you see him actually reach towards a knife on his belt. Oh my and, and, god! And uh, while well, and I'll just tell we'll call him Big Ruff, the uh, <clears throat> the Varger. Well, Big Ruff struggles to regain his balance from that wild swing. We'll have Ted go and then Chris follow up since you're right there, Ted. Now, you guys know that Star Talent Authority will frown on the use of firearms unless it is absolutely necessary for self-defense. This is not the Wild West out here, but... Uh, in fact, in Rylan or proper, you can't even take your weapons out in public, but Startown has different laws. You're under Starport Authority. Anyway, Ted, what do you do when this big Varger takes a swing at you? He seems determined to fight you. Sir, put that away. I'm going to try to um, 
uh, disarm him if I can. Well, he's just uh, wearing his claws. He just got claws on his hands. Oh. He just took a swing. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the guy that was taking out the Oh, knife. the little guy. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's a bigger threat. It certainly is. He's reaching for it. What do you I don't know do? if there's... Try to grab I it? Do, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's disarming... There's not really a disarming mechanic, but I can certainly see you having to grab him, and you're not trying to hurt him, so you don't have to... He's not wearing armor anyway, so there's not going to be any penalty, but go ahead and roll an eight or higher on two dice. And we're assuming you have an effective mm. brawling score of zero, but... Uh, well, I rolled a two and a three. Well, that's a, fi- that's a five, and that's uh, yep. no good. So you try to reach for the knife, but he's like, ah, 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 and backs up a little bit. And we'll just call the human Julius. So Big Ralph and Julius are, are at it. So you try to you try to uh, grab the knife, but you can't do it. He's surprisingly swift for his greasy chubbiness. But uh, Christopher, what do you do? Um, so I'm the way I'm imagining this in my head is that Christopher basically has his back turned, uh, so he doesn't really see. So he's like seated, you know, with his back sort of facing the. But he heard what was going on and yeah. he heard the attempted swing. So he's going to. Uh, bolt up out of the chair and quickly swivel around and brandish his knife and say, um, I don't think this is a good idea, mate. And, uh, all right. By the, and as, of course, Julius looks over at you again with the unhinged grin as if he's actually happy you said that and he's just taking notice of you. And, uh, in fact, he, uh, he he gives a nervous titter and steps over to you and takes a swing at you with the knife. Full, like He almost dances over to you like West Side Story style. But he, he misses with his attack. He he only rolls a four. So it's another wild swing. Big Ruff, on the other, oh, on the other hand, actually clocks you. Uh, he rolls a nine and hits you with his claws. And... He's going to do five points of damage to you, Ted. Okay. And so you would apply that to all of to that all damage to either your strength or dexterity or endurance, your choice, on a temporary basis, of course. And so, you know, it's a good uh, good backhand with some raking claws to the, to the face. Ha! Says Big Ruff. And then, then what do you do, uh, Ted? Um, that was the the guy with the just claws. That was the burger, yeah. Okay. Because the yeah. other guy, the little guy Julius with the knife, he seems focused on Chris now. Hmm. Um. I'll, I'll I'll take a punch at him. Okay. Yeah, go for it. You need an eight or higher. You have no penalty. He is also not wearing armor. Uh, I rolled a six and a two, so well, that's an eight. eight. Yeah, that is exactly right. And you hit him, and now uh, you're since using your your hands, roll one d one die, and that's the damage you do to him. Knock it off, sir! Oh, one <laughs> damage. Well, Big Ruff will take that temporarily off his off his strength, and. Meanwhile, Chris, what do you do when you see that Julius is eyeballing you and uh, dancing over to you and swinging knives around you? Yeah, he's already... When this extremely loud vehicle vacates, I will continue. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was not I was just going to jump up and brandish the knife and sort of, you know, say... I was just trying to basically intimidate them, but now that he's actually swung at me, I'm going to swing right back. Oh, yeah, you could tell you're dealing with a crazy person. You could just see it in his eyes and a weird giggle. And Ooh, that is going to be a five and a four for nine. Okay, and you have a blade, and it's a serious blade. It's like a machete, you know. This is something you, you, they use on boarding actions and whatnot. Did you say, uh, so you hit him, right? Did you say a nine? While I was? Yes. Okay, yeah, that certainly hits, and you may roll 2D for the damage. And um, that's going to be seven. Okay, and what are the individual dies on that one? Three and four. Three and four. Okay, well, 
Julius has to take all of that whole seven on one. And Julius is an utterly average character. His literally his stats are seven, 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 seven. He's the absolute average in every way. Now that whole seven hits that he has to take because of the first blood rule, that's gonna knock him out completely. And so you've uh you've rendered him unconscious. So I don't know what he's gonna bleed out or whatever. Maybe there's some internal bleeding. You can worry about that later, but with one swipe, one vicious uh, attack with that blade, Julius didn't know what he was in for, and he crumples to the ground. And Big Rolf is so, or Big Ruff is so fixated on Ted right now, and uh, he he again he's going to make an attack, and uh, I'll make you pay. I'll make you pay, you son of a bitch. Okay, now we're talking, and. He rolls a five again. And so... Okay. You take that off probably another one. You don't want one of your stats to go down to zero because then you'll be unconscious. Yeah, I will take that off a different one. Yeah, that's what I would do if I were you. And... Uh, but in, his, in the corner of his eye, he now sees that... Uh, he can see that Julius has gone down. And almost looks like he hesitates for just a second. And then... What do you do, Ted? Um, well, I'm not done yet. I'm going to give another punch. Okay. See if I still got it. And I got a nine. Well, that's certainly got a hit him. Why don't you roll one die of damage? All right. Oh, six. Okay. And... He's gonna. He's, well, that's a that's a pretty big blow for him, and it's uh, gonna knock his dexterity all the way down to two. So you can you you staggered this guy, you know, a couple times now. Boom, boom, and then how about you, Chris? Chris is going to say, um, "Nobody expects the Vaga pacifications," and. Uh, <laughs> run over and try, attempt to knife him and oh. he rolls a f- seven, five and two. Seven, okay, well you will uh, actually just barely, barely miss on the on the knife attack and um now facing two of you let's, let's, let's uh, look at Big Big Ruff's intelligence here and he slowly begins to back up he like wipes some blood just dripping off his lip with the back of his hand and steps back from both of you guys. He doesn't say anything. He's humiliated enough as it is. But you've you been feeling, pacified. Ooh. That, 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 people in the bar all do that too. And you say you've been. They're all like ooh. And he looks around. He just like quivers, quivers with rage. But he picks up Julius and hefts him over his shoulder. He walks over to the bar door, turns around, and looks back into the room. And you know that thing where the people put their two fingers up to their eyeballs and then point at you and. You know, I'm watching mm. you. Once he's safely away, he gives you a defiant gesture and then slips out. You sincerely hope you don't run into Big Rough at the Starport again. Cause he's probably got some buddies, you know. He's probably not going to take this one. He wants to live to uh, fight another day, apparently. But there's some scattered applause through the people in the bar and a few offers of drinks come your way. And well, those guys certainly held a grudge. <laughs> well, there was sort of... Uh, wasn't that some sort of massacre? Yes, there was... That's what they call it, a massacre. I mean, you know, it, it was what it was. I've just moved on from it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was... It was controversial. It was controversial. The, you know, the, the 16th Aramis Legion moved in. There's reports of Vargar insurgents on this world, uh, Zykoka, and they did find some legitimate insurgents, but there was the slaughter of some Vargar women and children. Uh, there's a lot of collateral damage, a lot. And, of course, the Imperial news apparatus just blamed it all on the Vargar insurgents, you know, because they were using women and children as as mm-hmm. a cover and stuff, and 
the thing is, Ted, you did see some of that. But, you know, you also saw, like, a hospital accidentally get bombed when Ford observers screwed up the call. And, and it was nasty. It was just a bad, bad deal. <laughs> it was a bad war in general. It was, like, worse than Vietnam. It wasn't a war. It was just a pacification. That's right. Just a pacification. A special sounds, military pacification. Sounds so much better. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, the, the woman, the unnamed woman, who in fact has asked not to be named, seems to be looking at you with mixture of approval and concern. She goes, I say, you are certainly impulsive. Well, yeah. But you and your friend look like you know how to handle yourselves. Uh, I'd say we can handle anything. Uh, now, ma'am, is yes. do you have some kind of job that you were offering uh, my associate? Well, I, I hadn't made up my mind completely, but I think I have. I think you two have just passed an audition of sorts. I... I, I she looks again like she's she wants to let down... Guard a little bit, but you see that again that dignified mask pop back up. And in fact, both of you go ahead and uh, roll two dice. You want to get an eight. This is just to notice something. You want to get an eight. If your intelligence is ten or higher, give yourself a plus two. Um, with, the, with the plus two for my high intelligence, I get a nine. Mm. And I don't get an eight. Okay. Yeah, well, you uh, actually do notice that there's a discoloration on one of her fingers. It's actually the right middle finger where she would have been wearing a ring that she has taken off and taken off recently, you know, where, the again, the skin is not quite as tan there. It's obviously been a ring. And that's not where a wedding ring would go, but it is, you've done enough business with noble houses that that's where a noble signet ring would go. And it's been removed for the moment. And that's one little, one little bit of information you get about her. Yeah, and I was already fairly suspicious uh, about that anyway, just based on the sort of request for discretion and, and secrecy and stuff. It's like, yeah, there's got to be some noble shit going on here. Oh, yes, and I was just telling your handsome young friend that discretion is absolutely necessary. I prefer not to answer any personal questions. But I am prepared to provide you with purchase credits in the amount of 500000 This is for you to go to a nearby world, which will be identified later in our discussions, pick up a cargo, take it, to another world and sell it. The sale price is two mega credits or two million credits. For your trouble, you may take a commission of one million. I realize that's unreasonably high, but money is not an issue in this to me. This is a matter of honor. My, my brother said he would get this deal done, and he is now unable to. So I, and her voice almost breaks a little bit there, but I will make sure that it will be carried out. Well, okay, let me see. Um, I might have to uh, speak here with my friend a little bit to discuss this. I understand. I will go outside and uh, sit on the park bench and look at the fountain and gaze up at the bright blue light of Deneb. And when you have made your decision... Please let me know. I feel out of place enough here as it is. Yes, you be careful now. There are a lot of ruffians about, it seems. I'm very careful. All the time. I'm quite capable, you know. I've always been told so. I don't doubt it. And and, and when she stands and walks and with that last little bit of almost self-conscious defiance, you realize this is a... A teenage girl who, because she looks mature and has got her hair done just right, she's playing it off as being at least five or ten years older than she is. This is uh, definitely a a teenager 
mm. a high school age kid. And uh, she she does step outside, and you can see her through the open doorway there uh, in the starlight sitting uh, on the park bench. There's like a little plaza out there, a little comfy plaza where there's a couple of food carts and things like that. And late night strollers. So what do you guys think? Well, what do you think, Ted? Well, it sounds awfully lucrative, and we sure need the money. But, you know, something seems a little uh, suspect, I would say, about this. And I don't want any trouble. But maybe the maybe not knowing is better. I mean, what do you think? Oh, I'm sure it's just some noble stuff. You know, uh, taking some, uh, some some sort of subjugating drugs or something to these planets because it's supposed to help them. So I'm sure it's actually some horrible thing that will enslave them or something, but that's a lot of money. Well, it could be, you know, medical supplies or something. And I'll just assume that's what it is, something that'll help these these poor natives. And I, we are just doing the right thing. Yeah, of course. It's, it's just it's supplies, medical supplies. It's, it's medicine, um, and scalpels and bandages and, and things like that. Yeah, and I'm, antibiotics. and I'm sure that's what it is. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually a not uncommon cargo. Yeah. Well, I think well, I, I think we uh, have settled that, and I think uh, we've got a good job now. All right. Well, well I'll go tell. I'll, go, I'll deliver the good news. All right. Well, you go outside onto the little plaza under the baleful blue light of Deneb, and. She looks up at you. She does, you know, the question's all in her eyes. We'll take it. Good, she says. It claps her hands for a second, and then she gets more dignified again. She goes, very well. Well, you have to get, you'll have to get that other guy, because I need to take you to a locker here in the starport and get the purchase money for you. All right. Ted, come along. Okay. All right, I yeah, will come. Yeah, we'll assume you guys get all get reunited, and you go walking off into the starport proper. And this is this huge terminal type building with commercial kiosks and ticketing facilities and boarding rooms, and it's laid out in this like immense, you know, ten mile round donut, <laughs> and uh, in the middle of the donut. Are where a lot of the the docking facilities are, but she after a long walk and even like a little tram ride, she takes you to a bank of storage lockers, and she enters a quick little combination and takes out this metal briefcase, it's, and she could barely lift it. And it's like when she takes it out, it almost falls to the floor before she gains control of it. It's obviously really heavy. Um, and there's a little seating area next by and she goes over there and sits down. She goes, now listen, I do trust you, but there are microscopic tracer stamps on random plaques in here. These are like really thin metal plaques. They're not paper money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will nullify those. Uh, uh, I can nullify those if necessary, but once we're, once it's out of system, it's hard for me to do anything about. But the point is, you, if you take that money and run, then eventually your spending can be traced. And I know people who can do it. But I do trust you. At least I want to trust you. Okay. So, so just be aware, though, that I have I have procedures in place, and understood. And uh, she looks around and then opens the briefcase and shows you, and you see, yep, 
just lined up like like uh, little index cards. Looks like a, a, a magic player's little those case. You know what I mean? Rows yeah. and rows and rows of little thin metal iridium imperial credits. Not locally minted either, but you know, good anywhere in known civilization. And there's 500,000 of them in there. You can kind of scan it. And uh, meanwhile, I, I guess in opening something with a lot of money, that might prompt one to look around, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Take, take, see if anyone's watching. So why don't you both go ahead and uh, roll two dice. Uh, you want an eight. Um, pick a plus two if your intelligence is, is ten or greater. Well, with the plus two, I get exactly an eight because I rolled a six. Yeah, I'm not very. Uh, Once again, Ted is not very perceptive. Yeah, you know? no. But but Chris is very noticey. Uh, Chris, you notice there's a guy doing that uh, uh, that classic uh, communication booth, you know, instead of phone booth move, where he's acts like he's he's talking to someone on a little booth, but he was glancing over in your direction. Now, whether he's just looking around, whether he's a pretty girl, whether he caught some of the the exchange, who knows? He's he's wearing a nondescript blue suit and, like, blue-tinted glasses. He's, he's like a man in blue, is what he almost looks mm-hmm. like. And uh, he, he then, you know, kind of hurriedly ends his call and uh, walks down a little ways and starts a uh, Browsing at a little uh, flower shop. Right. Well, I will take note of him taking note of me or us, yeah. and um, just keep. Uh, I'm not going to approach him right at the, at the moment or do anything like that. But I will try to stay extra vigilant and keep my eyes out for his eventual potential re- reappearance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll assume that now that you've laid eyes on him that you can keep eyes on him unless he purposely tries to you know get away from you we might have to roll dice again but uh, how much credits did you say was in this there's 500,000 credits here that's been the agreed upon purchase price okay I said I would tell you later once we conclude our deal where the pickup is and it's on a planet called Kagina that's not far from here it's three parsecs and you guys are well aware of where Kagina is. Uh, Christopher, you've had opportunity to travel to non-war zones a lot, you know, more than Ted has in his career. So you're a little more worldly in terms of having visited many different ports of call. And uh, there is no good reason at all to go to Kagina. It is classified as an amber zone by the Traveler's Aid Society, which means it's dangerous for travelers. All you really know off the top of your head is that it's supposed to be super, super cold. They're like barely survivable and tolerable. And then only on the equator. And that it's just technologically backwards. It's considered barely competent by imperial standards. That's why none of the merchant operations you were with ever went there. Um, so you'd have to consult some library data in a public terminal to find out any more helpful uh, facts about Kagina. But that—that's how much you know, just of, uh, you know, off the top of your head. Well, we are getting paid a lot of money for this, so I guess it's worth it. But this is going to be a very dangerous job, I think. Well, I don't know anything about Kagina, but what I do know is that when you get there. You have to seek out the hiver. Now, a hiver, you guys know, you've only seen one like once or twice in your lives. They are the most alien of all the alien races. They almost look like plant people. It's kind of hard to describe them, and we'll describe them in more detail when you see one. But obviously, you can't miss the hiver. It's apparently not much of a spaceport there. To give the, the hiver this password, Passphrase. I guess it's like a password. You say to him, the five boxing wizards jump quickly. And he'll the know five, that you're working with my brother. The five boxing wizards jump what? The five boxing <laughs> wizards jump quickly. It's a pangram. 
It uses Quickly. all the letters in the Anglic alphabet. Oh. Yes. But the Hiver, you can't miss him. And when you give him that phrase, he'll know that you're working with my brother. And he'll make the sale. And then once you've purchased the objects, whatever they are, you're to proceed to Chipotle and make the sale there. And the Hiver will have more information for you. And then, of course, proceed back here. It should take you... I should see you again in about four weeks if everything goes smoothly. Four or five weeks. Okay. Do you have well. any questions? Well, uh, only one question is for Ted. Did you write down that phrase? I sure I, did. Okay, good, because I, 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 there's no way I'm going to be able to remember that. I'm taking copious amounts of notes. Okay. Well... Uh, she says, she looks around and uh, she says, okay, well, then Godspeed and good luck. And she starts to walk away and then as if seized with a sudden impulse, turns around and gives Christopher like a kiss on the cheek and then bashfully runs off down the terminal. Oh my. And you see that guy, that guy, Chris, that you were looking at her. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you were keeping an eye out on the man in blue, and he follows her. Okay. All right. So probably <clears throat> probably like a bodyguard or something, then. Probably. I hope so. <laughs> no, or a, a therapist. <laughs> and an analyst. <laughs> yeah. He blew himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh. There are many anulrapists here on Rylanar. It's the center of anulrapy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Good All right. So, um, well, I guess we ought to get uh, get moving. I suppose so. Drag these credits with us. This yeah. is a, more than I've ever seen. Yeah, it's definitely heavy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of dealing is in cash because you know with the without any faster than light communication, it makes funds transfer real difficult. You know, from world to world, and <clears throat> uh, so yeah. Now you could again, you could access a public terminal here somewhere on Rylanor if you wanted to see if there's any more information you could glean. Library data is like a big thing in Traveler, you know, where you can find out a few more facts about something. It's usually not vital, but can provide extra context or clues if you want to take the time to do that. Otherwise, you could make your way uh, to where your ship, the Achilles Heel, is docked. Well, I am nothing but thorough, and I would like to uh, find out whatever additional information I can on Kajina. Well, uh, luckily there is, you know, multiple public information terminals all over the place. You know, it's like an old booth, like an old sit-down videos game style booth uh, where you can log on to what they call the reticulum, which is basically an internet. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, But go ahead and make a computer use role. If you don't have computer, then just don't add anything to your 2D. And if you do have computer, you can you can add... Oh, I have one. Okay, yeah. So, But this is easy. You just need a six. So... so do I add a die or just a point or what? You just add one point. One point. Okay. Yeah, for whatever your and skill I, level is. Whenever you roll a skill, you take that so as a positive modifier to your die roll. So how many die roll? You're rolling two d6 for oh, two D6, most six, tasks yeah. and then add one and hope to get higher than a six. It should be pretty easy. Oops. Uh, well, I already rolled a six, so... Okay. Good. Well, uh, again, maybe not some vital information, but certainly some extra context. Uh, not only is all that information that you heard from Chris confirmed about being almost intolerably cold and considered to be quite backward in terms of technology... Uh, I'll pack a sweater. Uh... <laughs> It's the world itself is owned by Rylanor, this the planet you're on, and it's been issued an amber zone 
travel advisory because of a, quote, tense situation on the world. A few more clicks, and do you want to hear more is later. Found out the system's actually being colonized by a planet called Bevy, which is a, like a corporate-type planet. But they're colonizing it with the consent of the Rylanor government over the, quote, over the fierce opposition of the local inhabitants. And so it was really that problem more than the cold. It's like a Palestine type of situation there. You know what I mean? It's just dangerous for people to be walking around. You never know when there's going to be a, you know, improvised explosive device or, you know, something like that. So so fair warning. It it's, looks like it's not only unpleasant in terms of climate, but a political uh, time bomb possibly waiting to go off as well hopefully you can just get in make your purchase from the hiver and get out well uh, not that ever goes that smooth does it especially when you're buying from a guy called the hiver yeah well we better watch our backs for sure I'll assume that you make your way to uh, the docking bay where the Achilles heel is. Now, you guys are actually operating the ship on a skeleton crew. You really ought to have four people. Uh, a dedicated engineer and then uh, a medic and general steward, but you're just running it with the two of you. It's not impossible, but, you know, you got to sleep in shifts. And Anytime you jump, you got your characters know this, anytime you make a jump into jump space, it takes a week. It takes about a week. Now, if your jump drives can jump you one parsec, it takes a week. If your jump drive could jump you two parsecs, it takes a week. If it could jump three parsecs, it takes a week. Ships can move up to six parsecs in jumps. It all is just a function of their power plant versus the mass of their ship and a bunch of complicated math that the game helpfully explains to math people if they're into that kind of thing. But... You've actually got a jump three drive in what normally is a jump two ship. The Achilles heel has sacrificed some cargo space and staterooms for an overlarge Holonic duplex power plant. So you could jump three parsecs, and when you picture the map of the Rylan or subsector, you know it's exactly three parsecs away. It'll be at the edge of your jump. Um, when you guys get back onto your ship and fire up the old ship's computer and put in the data tapes and get it running, um, you see that uh, it should be easy to navigate there. And better yet, there's a gas giant in that system, so you can actually refuel for free at gas giants. It's unrefined fuel, which makes the danger of a misjump just a little bit higher over time. But you can literally, like, skim the atmosphere of a gas giant. You have scoops on the sides of your ship that will uh, suck in the hydrogen and, and all that stuff and convert it into fuel. So you won't have to spend any money refueling when you get there. Yeah. Well, seems like we are trying to save money by just having this skeleton crew, and I'm sure we would be per- perfectly fine with unrefined fuel. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. And for what it's worth, you do have a laser turret installed on the Achilles heel in case you run into trouble. And although neither of you have gunnery skill, you do have a gunnery program on your computer that kind of compensates for that. It's um, Space combat's a lot like pushing buttons in the dark. It's more like submarine warfare would be than Star Wars-style mm-hmm. space combat. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but you just need to make a navigation roll to plot the course, and again, it should be easy. You just need a six. Whoever thinks they've got a good navigation skill... Might want to go ahead and make that. That happen. two. What do you got? I just. I'm the pilot. I don't yeah. navigate. I just fly the ship. Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess that's up to me then. And I say, I mean, you could be navigating like while Chris is lifting up out of the docking bay. You don't need to make a roll to do that. It's just completely routine. But once you're up and you're flying away and you like make that final scan down, you see not one but two. Men in blue, watching your ship, their their little eyeglasses just follow it up and up, and then the last thing you see is one of them speaking into a communicator. 
Now, and we both see that, or just me? Or? Well, no, just Chris, as he's flying. Oh, Chris. You're, you're busy running. Okay. Putting the coordinates into the Nava computer. Yeah. Well, all right, I will roll navigation. So I'll, I have a 2, so I'll just add that to 2d6. That's right. Ooh. Um, so uh, that's a 10 altogether. No, oh, well, that's great. So you're not going to miss jump. That's good. You should end up where you're going. But first of all, you've got it plotted into the computer, and Chris can go ahead and take you guys up and out into the atmosphere. And you actually have to maneuver out to 100 planetary diameters away from Rylanor, or you'll, you could have a terrible missed jump. You need to get like well outside of the gravity well. And, of course, there's all kinds of radio chatter and traffic. And uh, you do feel that your presence was noted leaving. You know, whether these men in blue work for this girl's family or someone else, you're not sure. Even if they did work for her family, it makes sense. They might be keeping tabs on you guys. You know that whatever that guy said in his communicator, they can't get any information off-world faster than you can go. So... You don't expect any nasty surprises waiting for you because of that, but you definitely feel that your ship's registry and all that may have been noticed and logged. Um, but once Chris takes it out, way out, 100 diameters out, uh, you are pretty deep in the black, and you can go ahead and engage the jump drives. And you spend a week, a boring week. You guys have found hobbies. What a lot of people do is work on self-improvement, they take correspondence courses. They do push-ups. You know, they spar with each other in the cargo bay. Um, but you're used to being on your ship. It's home. I imagine you've each got your little stateroom all all nice. Although the captain's quarters theoretically go to Chris. And he's the one who actually... Well, he's the one who's making payments on the ship. He's, he's He owns it, but it's not totally paid off yet. That's a part of Traveler we won't get into too much, but... Uh, so I imagine that Ted has a smaller room, but they're both quite comfortable, I'm sure. And you spend a week in the black. And suddenly you can hear the telltale beep. And when I say the black, it's like you look out the window, there's nothing. It's just like nothing out there. It's just black. There's not even a star or anything. It's actually kind of creepy. You don't even really have the sensation of moving or going fast. But as you blink back into normal space, you're all prepared. And indeed, uh, you can see what must be Kagena down below is icy and brilliant white. And in the distance beyond it, it looks like a huge, huge bright green star. That must be the, the gas giant that's in this system. It must be about three astronomical units away. In fact, it is. Now that your computer's starting to catch everything and all the radar is coming on and figuring out where it is and you get confirmation that you're in the Kagina system, you can still see Deneb real bright in the sky as well, or in space. And uh, there's only a very, very, very weak signal on the radio. It's just barely audible, but you can tell it's a beam from a Class E starport. It's basically a landing beam, which means a Class E starport is probably a... You can tell it's Class E because of the code in the in the beam. It probably just means it's like a blasted-off flat spot of bedrock <laughs> where where ships land with, with very few facilities, but I'm, it's, you're in the right place. But suddenly, your ship's computer beeps because there's another ship in proximity. It's a proximity alert, and you guys look down at the little round computer display and you see there's a ship about 60,000 kilometers out and has just changed its vector to intercept with yours. Do you want to learn more about it? Roll a 8 plus real quick and jump on that computer. You take a plus 2 if your intelligence is A or 10 or higher or if your education is 10 or higher and you can add a computer skill. I rolled well all together, then that's 11 for me. Okay, well, what, you're, what you've got here is a Xerxes-class armed packet ship. It's about 300 tons, which is slightly bigger than your ship. It's got a disabled comm beam, which means it's an illegal ship, either smugglers or pirates. Whatever it is, mm. is headed right your way, but we can worry about that next time. 
I thought that might be pirates. We'll have to say good day with her. Nice laser beam visit. Greeting. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll get into that next time. Uh, maybe do a little spaceship combat unless you guys can run away. We Second see. Monty Python reference in one episode. That's right. That's right. You can't get in too many. So, <laughs> so we will see you back here uh, in one week for more classic traveler. Hey, everybody. If you like our podcast, don't forget to leave us a good rating and or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, or wherever you're able. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Goonies underscore world. And check out our website at GooniesWorldPodcast.com. Email us at GooniesWorldPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.